Hey everybody, and welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast, your one-stop shop for spooky stories, handcrafted cocktails, and all things true crime. I'm your host, Bree. And I am your other host, Suze. I'm also the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits. Because not only do we bring you a new case or topic of interest every week, but we also teach you a little something about mixology along the way. Because I mix up a drink that ties in in some way with our theme for the week and then walk you through how to make one for yourself so you can sip right along with us. We've been friends for years and one of our favorite things to do is mix up something delicious and throw on a true crime documentary, which is basically what this podcast has become. It is, however, better research than that. <laughs> we promise. Yes. Cross our hearts. <laughs> we also have a script written out that we mostly follow. Mostly. Still, you can expect some tangents here and there. We also managed to find a way to mention Criminal Minds at least once, if not multiple times, per episode. Gotta give Dr. Spencer Reed all the love. Yes, girl. And you also can't forget the cursing, because we definitely curse on this show. We try to keep things a little bit more conversational. Think less like Dateline and more like Girls' Night. Just replace the catty gossip with actual facts. And maybe just a little catty gossip. So come hang out with us, learn a little something with us every Sunday, and make sure to join us on Instagram or Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. That is the word and. We'd love to chat with you about, I mean, whatever, really, but mostly true crime. So buckle up, buttercups. Sip tight. And let's get on with the show. Hello, my darlings. Welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. We are your hosts. My name is Bree. And I'm Suze. How was your week, girl? It was Good work and mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> My schedule recently changed a little bit, but oh, I'm yeah. sort of digging it. So that's cool. I'm not mad about being done at like five o'clock a couple days. Mm, hey, I like it. We love that for you within the restaurant industry. That is like unheard of. So. That's what uh, my manager George was like. He sort of got like the pink unicorn of schedules. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm off Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Which yeah. if any of you work in restaurants, you know that's like literally impossible. Yeah. But I will say, I've been at my job for 12 years now. My anniversary was this week. Oh, happy anniversary. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But I've worked really hard. Yes, you have. To get where I'm at. Yes, very much. I'm just going to count my lucky stars and say thank you, George, for letting me have that schedule. Thank you, George. And continue to work it with no complaints. (laughs) As you should. Only slight complaints. Well, I mean, you still have to serve food to the public. Oh, there's that. Well, and this Friday was Friday the 13th. It was. There were some buck wild folks out. I know, because when I made my OB appointment for that morning, I was like, mm, maybe, maybe not, but whatever. I just went. It was yeah, fine. Everything was seems, fine. That honestly <laughs> seems safer than a restaurant, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> That's true. That's very fair. Uh, we have shorter hours at work right now. Everybody's kind of, like, lost out on some. So both a blessing and a curse. I enjoy having more free time. It gives me more time to kind of dedicate to this, so I love that. Right. My wallet doesn't love it as much, but what are you going to do? We're, I hear you. Tis the season. (laughs) Yeah, we're in that post-Christmas holiday drop-off kind of zone. It'll pick back up. Tax seasons. I'm really practically here. <laughs> Valentine's Day will fair. be here before we know it. I'm really just trying to enjoy it because I know that it won't last forever. It's true. So yep. I'm taking it. And I got new glasses this week. They are beautiful, by Thank the way. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Mark keeps telling me how nerdy I look, and I'm not mad about it. It's in a good way. I'm sure is how he means it. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> that, for me, is a compliment, folks, because <laughs> that's where we're at. So one other thing I wanted to mention before we kind of get into things is that this week I also took the time to listen to a couple new 
other podcasts, at least new to me. I think they're relatively new to the podcast sphere. To, to the world also. as well. Yeah. So the first one I listened to was a was one called Sinister Dynasty. They're from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. They've been kind of interacting with us a little bit. Hey, guys. We love that. It was really interesting. They do a lot of local cases for for their area, and I'm not familiar with them at all. So while it was a tad bit difficult for me to follow only because I wasn't familiar, it wasn't any different than, like, any other story that I'm not familiar with. Or, like, hearing a case from, like, California. Exactly. Or in this case, Your girl's got ADHD, and she's not medicated for it. So (laughs) I work with what I got. Right. So they were really great. Highly recommend them. Another one uh, that I would definitely recommend is Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast. So they're kind of, like, our whole vibe. I love that idea, too. Yes. Uh, It's a mother and son duo, and they cover exactly what their name tells you that they cover uh he covered a bizarre story she covered a brutal story i listened to their donner party episode oh it was yeah really, really good mm-hmm. uh and they also like to have a drink and they walk you through it and it was really awesome so 10 out of 10 for both of them i would totally recommend <laughs> you guys to go check them out if you like us they're a little bit more chill Look at <laughs> us making friends i know wow i feel like we're growing. my therapist would be so oh, proud wipes <laughs> tears of joy away but yeah definitely go check them out uh they were really awesome so and thank you guys for checking us out first and putting yeah. yourselves on our radar because you guys are awesome <laughs> so getting into tonight yes, we are going to be discussing the serial killer daniel rowling aka the gainesville ripper which i literally knew nothing about really not even a little bit oh nope. i love when one of us like <laughs> when one of us is not familiar with the case that we're covering it makes it more fun i was like oh oh my fun okay. in a weird right. morbid way well yeah in our kind of fun way <laughs> right we'll put it that our way our special brand of crazy right. is what you're saying <laughs> a little bit. so back in august of 1990 in case you guys aren't familiar either he killed five college students over the course of four days now considering what is happening in the news nationally lately Anyone following that, this might sound familiar because this is very similar to what just transpired in Idaho. Personally, with cases like this, I tend not to familiarize myself with them until we get to the trial process. Mm -hmm. Because as we know, they don't always give you all the details. There's a lot of armchair detectives out there who try to... With Idaho, it's just been so hard because literally everything on social media is details about that. Yes. I hope they've caught the right man in that instance Mm -hmm. as well. But the pre, from what I understand, the pre-trial phase is about to start. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start digging into that. So if you guys want to have like discussion points or something with that, cool. I have like a personal rule. I don't think that we should really cover anything that's it's very fresh. Like, that hasn't yes. been over for at least, like, two to four years. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Let us know what you guys think. But the reason I mention it is because these two events, if you will, mirror each other in a very creepy way. And Susan and I did not plan it this way at all. Not even remotely. We've had January planned for months yep. now. Accurate. Because we've been trying to plan out, like, a month or two ahead yeah. of time. Yeah. We're really working hard Look at us go. to get our shit together, folks. <laughs> New year, new us. Right. (laughs) We're taking it serious this time. (laughs) But yeah, it was really odd um, learning a little bit about the Idaho murders in the last couple weeks and then digging into this case because they're very similar, as you guys will soon find out. And to add an extra layer of ick 
to this whole thing, Daniel Rowling is said to have inspired the screenwriter that wrote the movie Scream, which is, like, one of my most favorite movies of all time. Which, Brie, this is how Brie introduced this idea. She was like, oh, you know, the Gainesville Ripper, and I was like, no. Mm -hmm. She was like, Scream, and I was like, like, the movie? And she was like, (laughs) yeah, supposedly this is what, like, inspired him to write Scream, and I was like, wait, what? Which we will dig into... At the end sure, for you guys, because well, yeah. it's, it's, it, it's an interesting connection. It is, but and it's more like an asterisk with the case than for sure. a big talk. It's one point. of those, it's kind of like with the dating game killer, I feel like he got notorious, and then that was like his moniker, and right. while this doesn't overshadow what Daniel Rowling's did... Like you said, it's kind of like an asterisk that needs right. to be addressed but shouldn't be front row and center. It's like weird trivia. Yeah. Ex- there you go. Perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so as is our tradition, this is the part where we warn you ahead of time about the horrible, horrible, awful things that this man did. He is not only guilty of murder, but also of rape and sexual assault of a corpse. Because, ew. As you may already know, we don't like to dive into unnecessary detail, but these things will be mentioned and talked about briefly because they are important to the case itself. Um, Bree and I go into this podcast with nothing but good intentions and the utmost respect for the victims and the families of those involved, as always. Always. We're just here to share what we've learned about each case and basically teach you how to make a delicious cocktail along the way. Yes. So, you guys, make sure that you are following the podcast on social media. That is where you will catch all the details about the drinks and the cases that we're covering. Now, to the fun part... Yeah. Speaking of the dranks. The dranks. What are you providing the people with this week? Yeah, so um, my brain went Florida. Alligators <laughs> and orange juice. That's where I started. I love it. Um, so like we alluded to, we're talking about a really seriously fucked up guy this week. Um, it's violent. It's senseless. It's just a whole lot of things. So we're going to need a strengthy cocktail. Oh, yeah. But we're going to start with the setting for the crimes. You already know, if you don't, it's in Florida. Gainesville, Florida. Y'all are buck wild in Florida. Oh, my God. Florida um, man. Right? <laughs> this, it has a whole, like, tab under crimes, just Florida. <laughs> um, this case is centered around the University of Florida specifically. Um, it's also known simply as Florida or UF. It's based in Gainesville and has operated continuously there since 1906. The mascot for the school is an alligator. Oh, yeah. Apparently, he was the informal mascot starting when a local vendor designed and sold school pennants imprinted with an alligator. Oh, (laughs) that's funny. If you've ever been to Florida, alligators are literally everywhere. You can't have your small dogs or your small children near lakes or bodies of water because they do not care. It's a very real threat. They are desensitized to humans. They will just chomp your little puppy dog and drag him into the water. That has happened. There was, I read a story. There was a couple. Because it's Florida, (laughs) a man wrestled an alligator and saved his dog. Wasn't there, was that recently? I believe so, yes. I feel like I know what you're talking about. And I was like, oh my gracious. I mean. I get it, dude. Same. Well, and so I had a friend who lived near Fort Lauderdale, which is obviously Mm. south of Gainesville, Mm -hmm. but we did an airboat ride around the Everglades, and it was literally just like, alligator, 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 bird. (laughs) Alligator, alligator, alligator. They were just everywhere. Oh, geez. Like, all over the place. Was it kind of scary? I feel like that would be scary. I mean, and the airboats are not like... It's like a little boat with a big fan behind yeah, it. Yeah. It I was wasn't like say, a secure boat where you're I You're not, safe. like, strapped in or anything, mm, I would no. imagine. Mm-hmm. 
And this was like a yeehaw redneck. If television has taught me anything, it's that those are very unsafe and they get stolen a lot. Oh, that's that's exciting. <laughs> it's just from like you know, oh, Florida. <laughs> Y'all are crazy. Um. So, anyways, by 1911, the alligator was officially adopted as the nickname of the sports teams at UF. The school colors are orange and blue. No one seems to know why, but my assumption is oranges. They're mm. like the state fruit and drink of Florida, so okay. perhaps orange. The blue? I don't fucking know. Yeah, why blue, not like maybe, orange and green? Maybe water? Maybe. Well, maybe, I mean, orange and green would be weird because they're not Irish. Like, True. Not that like Notre it's, Dame. yeah, not <laughs> like it's like automatic. That was, that sounded way worse than I intended. No, I, I knew what but you meant. you know what about. I mean. <laughs> um, so another fun fact I learned while going down this crazy rabbit hole with the University of Florida is that they actually created Gatorade. Oh. Specifically, orange Gatorade. Uh, <laughs> yep. that's hilarious. So the story goes that in 1965, a Gators football coach met with a team of physicians from the University School of Medicine to discuss a remedy as to the significant weight loss and the heat stroke that was plaguing the players. Oh. Mm-hmm. The researchers were led by Dr. Robert Cade, and they soon discovered that training and playing in the brutal Florida heat and humidity was resulting in players losing key components like salt, carbohydrates, and electrolytes through sweating. No oh, shit. Oh, wow. Duh. <laughs> You'd think this is duh, but it, it was not, apparently. Wait, um, when, when was this? 1965. Oh, okay. Interesting. And, I mean, I mean, if you've ever been to Florida, you know that their heat and humidity is, like, beyond compare. Oh, the humidity is awful. And it rains at least once a day. It might only be for five minutes, but mm-hmm. it rains. Yep. It's just, ugh, like, I can't imagine training. I barely want to walk in it, so, like... Right. <laughs> Pushing things and running around. We went to the horrible. zoo when we were in Jacksonville, and that was quite a trip. Mm-hmm. It was great. I quite, loved every moment quite of damp. it. It was. They had yep. fans in like misty places though mm-hmm. everywhere, so that was nice. Um, so the lab at UF went to work creating a formula that would help to replace those lost elements. Because it was put together at the University of Florida, it got the name of Gatorade. Hmm. Hmm. Orange was the original flavor. That tracks. I saw some cocktails when I was Googling, and it was like, mix in orange Gatorade with, like, your vodka and stuff. And I was like, mm. <laughs> So we're not going to put it in the drink, but if you're feeling dehydrated in the morning, I recommend <laughs> orange Gatorade. Gatorade. Great for hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so the drink itself, I'm calling it the Green Gator because it's green. <laughs> and we're talking about Florida and alligators. I love it. Um, so melon liqueur is, like, the big thing component here in this case we're using de Kuiper. okay it's bright green it tastes like melon you can use midori too same uh, idea yeah. it's green it's also melon whatever floats your boat um we're also using coconut rum we're using admiral nelson's because it's what we have on hand and yeah it's pretty damn delicious <laughs> it last time it was really good <laughs> um and next up you'll basically just want orange juice if you want to use orange pineapple or orange pineapple banana whatever blows your hair back Citrus juice of some kind. Yes. I would recommend orange juice, personally. Um, And then, if you would like, you can add some club soda or Sprite if you want it sweet or bubbly. It's totally up to you. You don't have to add it, but, again, whatever floats your boat. To make the drink, we took a large rocks glass and filled it with ice. We filled our shaker with ice. To the shaker, we added one and a half ounces of the melon liqueur, one ounce of the coconut rum, and two ounces of the orange juice, Shook it. We strained it over fresh ice. Topped, we topped ours with club soda. But again, mm. if you want Sprite, if you want it sweet and bubbly, whatever floats your boat. If you um, want to leave it out. We love some so. club soda. We sure do. 
We basically always have it on hand. Oh, yeah. And then to garnish, I just did a little orange wedge because, you know, oranges. Sticking with the theme here. <laughs> We're going to just beat the dead horse. We're really going in on the oranges. I like it. It came out delicious. Mm, I'm excited to try it. Ooh. It's good. Ooh, it smells like, or it tastes all tropical. It mm -hmm. smells tropical too, but. And it's like good. a very fun ecto cooler green color. It so really does look it. like something that was like, okay, did you ever watch like the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies? Mm -hmm. It looks like that stuff kind of that was yep. being stolen. Yeah. It was the main. Okay, yeah. You know I don't know about. what it was, but yeah. Why can't I think of it? Because it's been a very long time. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad made me watch those movies and I was so upset about it, but like. <laughs> As an adult, I went back and I was like, these movies are fucking awesome. I they think are. I just didn't want him to tell me what to do. Exactly. Because he said you should watch it. You were like, no, I yeah, don't want no, to. No, fuck them you. turtles. Yeah. Aw, poor turtles. They didn't mean I it. love turtles. I'm just kidding. All right. So let's get into things. Oh, yes. Let us. As we mentioned, Daniel Rowling is classified as a serial killer, which according to the dictionary means that he killed, quote, more than one victim in more than one location in a very short period of time. However, the FBI would argue that that definition is actually more reflective of a spree killer's behavior. I can see that too. Exactly. That's, that's exactly why I put this in here. I found it very interesting. One particular thing to note here is the fact that spree killers don't have a tendency to return to their normal everyday lives in between committing their murders. Where someone like notorious serial killer Ted Bundy absolutely did do that. Those my goats. <laughs> He'd still be doing it if he hadn't been caught. Absolutely. So generally with serial killers, there's a cooling off period that takes place between murders. This could last for anywhere between a couple of weeks to a few months. And some rare occurrences, it could last for years. And we've discussed a few cases here and there where that was absolutely what happened. And, like I said, this is why I bring it up, because Rowling behaved much more like a spree killer, at the very least on the surface. Regardless of classification, the end result is the same. Daniel Rowling committed terrible acts, and he truly led a life full of literally nothing but crime. Quite literally just crime. <laughs> crime all the time. I, I can only, I was, like, typing, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. no. Like, every new <laughs> Every, paragraph. like, five seconds, yes. really? Yeah. All right. So, we're going to dial it all the way back to the beginning. He was born Daniel Harold Rowling on May 26, 1954, to parents James and Claudia in Shreveport, Louisiana. His mother was only 19 years old when he was born. Babies having babies. Oh, terrible idea all the time. <laughs> um, the next year, she gave birth again, this time to their second son they named Kevin. James, the father, was a police officer, a Korean War veteran, and an incredibly abusive man to both his wife and his sons. Unfortunately, that seems like we say this every single story we yeah, tell. This is where it time. all begins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been said that James never wanted to have children in the first place, and boy, does his behavior make that loud and clear. Oh, does it? Um, he was known to be temperamental, controlling, and violent maybe all three at the same time. And as is with most cases that we see, the abuse was verbal in the beginning. However, as the boys got older, things became increasingly more violent and physical. Claudia, in her defense, did make several attempts to leave her husband, but unfortunately she literally always went back. It's sad, but Taylor's all this time. It's true. It's just the problem with these situations is that once you're in it, it's just so difficult to get out. 
And naturally, this made for a real shitty environment for two children to grow up in. James would tell Daniel how unwanted he was constantly. This began pretty much at his birth. James was the fucking worst and would use any excuse to be his family members. Like, literally any excuse. Daniel was a one-year-old the first time his father laid hands on him in a violent way. In that instance, James felt as if Daniel wasn't crawling properly and he needed to be punished for it. Is there a proper way to crawl? I didn't know that, but... I feel like there's At not. this point, you're just looking for reasons to be upset and mad I think and that he made it up. There was also one time when Claudia had to go to the hospital, and when asked what happened, she said that her husband had tried to make her cut herself with a razor blade. If that's not really fucking sad. That's terrifying. That is absolutely terrifying. James used the fact that he was a police officer to his advantage at least one time that we know of, but I'm sure there are several others that were I can documented. only imagine, yeah. And on this occasion, he had Daniel pinned to the ground, aggressively handcuffed, and dragged away by other officers, all because James was embarrassed by him. And Lord only knows what he was doing. This entire family had to constantly walk on eggshells for fear of breathing the wrong way. Like, that was actually Quite notated literally. in the research. Like, breathing wrong breathing the wrong way triggered this man to be violent against his family. Like, anything set this man off. That's just wild. It's fucking tragic. Things came to a bit of a head, or maybe just... At this point, I don't even know how to describe it, but Daniel (laughs) was... honestly. Right. Daniel was in the third grade. He had failed that year due to having too many absences. It didn't specify why there were absences. It could be illness. It could be broken bones, black eyes. Who knows? I feel like it's probably documented as illness and is likely something else. Right. This event caused his mother to have a full-on nervous breakdown. So, needless to say, things at home were overall just generally terrible, and they were on the downhill slope here. Yeah. Like the even downer hill slope. (laughs) Um, the counselors at his school described Daniel as someone who was, quote, suffering from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control, end quote. Mm. You'll see later. Check, check, <laughs> and check. Oh, yeah. We also learn from Daniel that at some point during his childhood, he allegedly began to develop multiple personalities to cope with the reality that was his terrible life. He was severely depressed throughout his teens and early adulthood. Um, It's documented he had attempted suicide multiple times over the years. It also became difficult for Daniel to keep a job and thus began a cycle of armed robberies followed by an incarceration, rinse, repeat, over and over and over, just staying in that cycle. Revolving door. Um, He was arrested for several different robberies in Georgia and was even caught once spying on a woman getting dressed. Things were getting out of hand, so naturally, this is what I would think. Right. Daniel's like, well, let me test out the Air Force. Maybe Super. they'll give me the structure that I require. You know, and in some cases, that is actually a good idea. Oh, for sure. And I'm not knocking it not because I think one. it can help. Not but I think guy. he's too far gone. Because he chose the Air Force specifically because the Navy was like, mm, no, thank you. They would not have him. Yeah. Um, His military career, if you're not guessing already at home, did not last that long. (laughs) He was kicked out in 1972 because he was caught with drugs on him. Allegedly, he took acid over 100 times during his stint in the armed forces. That is astounding. Swiss cheese brain. 
I have questions. Like, why would you want to trip on acid if you're, like, doing military things? No. Like, that could not have been fun, even. No. Or, I, I, mm, yeah, mm I don't know. Acid's not my jam. I tried it a couple of times in my late Especially, teens. though, if you have the disturbances in your psyche yeah. that he has. Exactly. That's probably just exacerbating it to right. the max. I just, no thanks. Having done it, it just made me feel paranoid and yeah. weird. I felt real weird. I'm great. I did that. not know that. Did you guys know that your acid trips last like 16 hours? Because mm-hmm. I wasn't informed oh, until yeah. I'd already taken it. And you're also not supposed to pet animals because the oils in your skin can transfer it. <gasps> I didn't know that. Yes. Because mm. I was like kittens and I was like, no. Oh, no. Right. <gasps> Oh, no. Did not go well. Public service announcement. Yes. I don't recommend trying it at all, so maybe just don't do that. Well, I'm not judging. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. Yeah. Again, I don't care. But I maybe do it. it somewhere safe. <laughs> don't go out in public and don't pet any cats or dogs. That's my, that's the 411 from Sue. Helping you guys out. Who knows if it's true or not, because I, you know, you never know. That's true. But it's literally been super glued in my brain ever since, so. Yeah, that's, oh, that's so crazy. Hmm. Terrifying. So, from all outward appearances, it would seem as if Daniel was trying and failing miserably to get his shit together. After the Air Force kicked his ass out, he went to live with his grandfather for a short period of time. It did seem like this provided him some kind of stability, possibly for the first time in his life. And he got even more cemented into this when he started attending church. So he had, like, routine, and he was socializing with people it got weird but you know (laughs) he even got married though and he had a kid of his own i read this and i was like what right that can't be right and for you folks playing at home this too did not last long for daniel what brie i know i'm sure you're shocked stunned (laughs) stunned just stunned um turns out that the apple didn't fall too far from the tree daniel treated his wife and daughter the same exact way he was treated as a child, which is really sad to hear. Again, though, it's, we're, it's we're in the cycle. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. This eventually drove her away, leaving Daniel to his own devices. He stayed in Georgia and continued to commit several armed robberies. In 1979, he took things a little further, and he raped a woman who resembled his ex-wife. So if that wasn't, like, some deep-rooted issues there, I don't know. Ugh. What is, honestly? I'm sure there's a psychiatrist that has something to say about that. <laughs> I'm sure plenty do. This did lead to his arrest, but alas, he got out again. The 1980s continued very much in the same way for him. He was in and out of jail in both Alabama and Mississippi. And in between jail stints, he would just drift around the country, occasionally committing an armed robbery and forcing himself on women. What a, just, what a peach. I just, what a peach. I don't like him. Ugh. <laughs> All right, so at this point, we're just going to put a real quick pin in Daniel for just a sec, and we're going to instead talk about a triple homicide, mm. of course we are. Yep. Um, it occurred Saturday, November 4th, 1989, in Shreveport, Louisiana, which, if you're keeping score on your bingo card at home, is Daniel's hometown. Yep. On this day, 55-year-old Tom Grissom, his 24-year-old daughter, Julie, and his 8-year-old grandson, Sean were attacked and brutally murdered in their home. The bodies weren't actually discovered until the following Monday, November 6th, 
Um, Sean's mother wound up calling the police that morning when the school alerted her that Sean wasn't in class and she couldn't get in touch with anybody, her father-in-law, Julie, nobody, to figure out what the hell was going on. So uh, police reach out to neighbors and ask them to see if the Grissom home was unlocked. Which seemed weird to me, but I don't know. Louisiana has its own set of rules Louisiana in the very late 80s, I get it, I guess. Um, About 15 minutes after that initial phone call to police, uh, three neighbors go to check on the family. One of them tried to open the utility room door off of the garage and discovered the body of Tom slumped against the door. Sean was found face down in the family room while Julia was found naked and partially hanging off of a bed. We learned that the family was killed between 6 and 8 p.m. that evening. Tom was in the midst of grilling some steaks for dinner. He was found with several stab wounds in the back and chest. Sean suffered a single knife wound to his back while he was watching TV. Julie's body yielded the most evidence, and unfortunately, that's because the killer spent the most time with her. She had been mutilated and raped before her murder. Then the perpetrator tried to clean the body. I think it was with vinegar, if I remember correctly. It was white vinegar, yes. And then he posed her. She had distinctive bite marks and was posed with her legs open. Forensically, the police didn't find much at the scene. There weren't any signs of forced entry, and other than some indicators that a struggle occurred, the overall scene was actually noted as being quote-unquote neat. That really made me feel some type of way when I I read that. The only substantial piece of evidence found was some body fluids, which were later tested. Police were able to discern that the suspect had blood type B, and that was pretty much it. This crime would go unsolved for quite a long time. Well, because they didn't have DNA. Right. They had blood typing, so. Right. (laughs) Not a whole lot to go off of. Goodness gracious. So, now we're going to cycle back to Daniel. Right around the time of the Grissom murders, he had lost his job at a restaurant. At this point in time, he was living with his parents again and had been for about six months or so, which all came crashing down, which you already know is going to be a thing. Um, It was the following spring, so May of 1990. Daniel and his father got into yet another argument. Allegedly, they were fighting about Daniel being told by his father to roll up his car windows. It, It was raining, so I mean, valid, but I'm sure James said it in a butthole kind of way. And Daniel was like, how about fuck off? Yeah, I can only imagine. I'm just picturing it in my head, and I'm like, yep, that's Mm -hmm. probably exactly what happened. Because even, I feel like at this point in time, and and this is the the only time, I do not blame Daniel for anything, because I think that even if his father was pleasant when he walked in the room and was like, hey, son, you might want to go roll down your windows, he probably still would have been like, you can fuck all the way off. Right. Because at that point, nothing really matters. Not Like, you can't go Mm -hmm. back. Nope. You can't undo all that's been done at this point. Exactly. So, needless to say, this comment enraged one or both, probably both, mm. um, when suddenly Daniel pulls out a gun and shoots his father in the head, which I don't advocate this. No. But that guy was a butt munch, so. He may or may not have deserved it. Stuff happens. <laughs> um, however, James Rowling was a stubborn, lucky son of a bitch, and he actually survived the motherfucking shooting. Gross. To the head. Um, he did not come out of it unscathed. However, he did lose the use of an eye and an ear. I heard he lost an ear and an eye, but mm. I don't even want to picture what that looks like. So I was like, eh, lost the use. Go with that. <laughs> we'll take technically, it. that's also true. At least there is a silver lining to that, I guess. Right. 
Um, so Daniel obviously flees the house. Later in the evening, he robs a couple. He gets a whopping $21. And he, for once, makes a smart choice and decides he should just leave the state. He's like, I should get out of here, maybe. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Later in the evening, nope, he abandoned his car the next morning in a Motel 6 parking lot and made his way to Florida via a Greyhound bus. Because Greyhound does not discriminate. No. Come one, come all. Hey, they will take your money. They don't care. <laughs> Thanks to some stolen ID papers from one of the many, many robberies that Daniel committed, um, he began going by Michael Kennedy Jr. starting in late July of 1990. So, to set the scene, if you will, Daniel ends up in Gainesville, Florida. He sets up a campsite in a particularly wooded area located behind the University of Florida. As Sue's notated in her research, we're off to a fantastic start here. Right. There are a bunch of burglaries and robberies being committed all over the place, which I didn't really know the difference between the two, so I did do a quick Google search. So, like, real quick side note, apparently a burglary is something that's done against a building, so it's like when a person unlawfully enters a building, regardless of whether or not anything's stolen, and a robbery is, like, technically against a person. That's when a theft occurs. Oh. I know. I thought that was really interesting. I I was reading your research and, like, going through and doing everything, and I was like, okay, Burglaries and robberies, like... I just assumed they were interchangeable. I did, too. So I was... It's the same thing. I don't know why they have two words for it kind of thing. Right. I... So I was like, okay, let me check. So that's, you know, there's your little fact of the day, guys. So... The more you know. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, police had their hands very full with the murder of five college students. Like we said in the beginning, this all takes place over the course of three to four days. Which is terrifying. When you, when we're about to go into the details of the murders, when you hear what he did, it, if it wasn't so gruesome and awful, it would almost be impressive that he was able to, to do as much as he was able to do. He was a very busy man. It's crazy. And this is exactly why, in the FBI's opinion, he tends to fit a different classification more spree versus cereal. Mm. For we'll now. Let, we'll let you guys. Decide. For now, at least. <laughs> so, the more serious crimes began on Friday, August 24th. Daniel broke into an apartment shared by two 17-year-old girls, Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. They were both freshmen at UF and had just moved into their new home, because I don't know if you guys know this, but fall semester start in the summertime. Yep. For no reason, just for fun. So they've literally just moved into this apartment. I can only imagine. They were probably so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I read somewhere that they didn't even have all of their boxes unpacked. That, that checks out. Yep. Um, so Daniel first encounters Christina. She's sleeping on the couch downstairs. But, because he is a crazy person, he doesn't wake her right away. Instead, he just sort of like hovers over her like a total creeperama for a hot minute. <laughs> and then he's like, mm, let me go scout out the rest of the house. Eventually, he finds Sonia upstairs, sleeping in her bedroom. He came prepared, so he tapes her mouth shut first thing, because he wants to stifle any sounds that she might make. He then proceeded to stab her to death with a K-bar knife. It's apparently, because I googled it, I was very (laughs) curious, it's a popular knife that's used by the United States Marine Corps as a combat knife. It's a fighting-slash-utility knife that has a 7-inch blade, with a leather washer handle, 
Um, the company that makes these are actually based out of Olean, New York, which is not that far away from us. Because mm. it's part of, like, they do cutlery for, like, your tableware also. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's part of a larger company now, but I'm sure back then it was its own thing. But I was like... That's crazy. Okay, I find that astonishing. Um, so... After he commits this crime, he makes his way back downstairs, back to Christina. He started things off the same way with taping her mouth shut, but this time apparently he learned. Um, he taped her wrists together behind her back. He then proceeded to cut her clothes from her body while threatening her with the knife. He proceeded to rape her before stabbing her five times in the back. It seems to be a thing for him to stab people in the back. Yep. I do not care for that. <laughs> no, no, I don't particularly either. Um, after she was dead, he assaulted her again and then decided to cut off her nipples and keep them as a trophy. Just why? Um, yeah, why? Yep, I don't actually know. Um, before leaving the apartment, Daniel poses both bodies in sexually provocative positions, uses his white vinegar to try and clean the bodies, and then he helps himself to a shower on the way out. Which I, I don't know why that particular really detail gears, really bro. pissed me off when I was writing this. But I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. The audacity. The motherfucking audacity. <laughs> I don't know. I feel Excuse like it's you. like weird to fixate on that. But it just really, I already had a pit in my stomach while writing this. And it just went even further. Right. <laughs> the next day. Daniel continued his reign of terror. He broke into the apartment of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt. She was a student at Santa Fe College. He had to break in through her sliding glass door, which is really scary as an adult now, thinking about it, because the way my grandmother's old house before she passed away had a sunroom attached to it, and it was two sliding glass doors to, like, get in the mm -hmm. house. And I never, ever thought of anything being weird or wrong. I will never, ever. And you can... <laughs> Put this on my tombstone. Quote. I'm never going to have a glass sliding door. No. It seems nice. It does. It seems great. Except that all you need is a screwdriver to get in. Right. Oh, hell to the no. I'm good. I, I don't care so. if you put ten Because I've heard if you put, like, a broomstick or a dowel in yeah. the track, it will, like, stop people. But yeah. Nothing will stop this, man. Because we, that's, we had one of those. It had, like, a handle on it and everything, so it was easy to, like, wedge in there. Because yeah. we did that, like, every night. But... No. Yeah, no. I'd mm -hmm. like a big door with multiple locks, please, and thank you. <laughs> so when he finally managed to get into the apartment, he realized that Krista wasn't at home. So he decided to just hang out and wait in the living room for her to get back. This did not happen until 11 o'clock that night. Talking Krista walked in and got jumped from behind and immediately put into a chokehold. Once Daniel had her subdued, he put a gag in her mouth, bound her wrist with some duct tape, we see a pattern in his behavior at this point. He's doing the same things. He repeats the same sequence of events as he did with Christina, forcing her to perform sexual acts, stabbing her in the back. Only this time, he punctured her aorta. He then goes one step further. This time, once he was finished with the body, he proceeded to flip her body over and slice her abdomen open from her pubic bone to her breastbone. He took his trophy, which we already know what that is, mm -hmm. and he left the scene. However, he had to come back. 
He thought he had left his wallet behind, so he went back to Krista's apartment. Who which, takes a wallet to a murder? I'm that was my, asking. thank you, that was my first question, too. I was like, first of all, Sarah, you're obviously not very prepared. Like, I get it, you're living in a tent, but, like, bury that shit in a coffee can or something and come back for it. Don't carry it on you, you fucking weirdo. It just seems so weird. Like, such a weird, like, normal. He's going, and he's so meticulous about everything yes. else, but, like. But you were... You thought you left your wallet at the scene of or this, like, crazy... Or did he want to think he left his wallet so he could go back to do more nefarious things? Well, I don't know, because it seems like when he went back, on a literal whim, he <laughs> de- decapitated Krista, and then he posed her body. He got disgustingly creative with this one, guys. Like, this is really gross. He posed Krista in a sitting position on the edge of her bed, like he does, and then he placed her head on a shelf facing her body, and it also faced, like, the direction of the door, from what I understood. So, so whoever came in to find her would, would have the shock of that? their lives. Mm-hmm. Here to mm. Guys, I can't. <laughs> I can't with this man. <laughs> so, by the time a third murder had been committed, the story began to pick up traction within the media, and honestly, not a moment too soon. Honestly. It literally blew up television, newspapers, flyers, every campus nearby, because obviously UF's the big one. Santa Fe College was there. I'm sure there's other smaller colleges. We alone in Erie have like four. Yeah, honestly. You know what I mean? Or five, I think, now. Also, Florida, as a general rule, is like a vacation spot, and I mean, there's going to be people just hanging out with their guard down more often than not not in these areas. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But thanks to the widespread coverage of the killings, students and others knew to start taking some extra precautions. Many made changes in their regular routines. They began sleeping together in groups. There were some students that actually went as far as to transfer transfer or withdraw from school entirely, which, thank goodness, because on Monday, August 27th, Daniel was on the move again. Mm. This time, he broke into the apartment of 23-year-old UF students Tracy Pauls and Manuel Manny Taboadoa. It's a hard one to Mm -hmm. say. (laughs) Again, he broke in by way of the goddamn sliding glass door, (laughs) using a screwdriver yet again to pry it open. Daniel had the bad luck, I hope, of encountering Manny first, because Manny put up quite a fight. He was a former high school football player, and he did give Daniel some trouble. There was an intense struggle between them, but unfortunately, Manny was overwhelmed and taken down. Tracy actually heard the altercation and went to check on Manny. She saw Daniel standing over Manny's body and asked him, quote, you're the one, aren't you? End quote. Chills. Daniel responded with, quote, yeah, I'm the one. End quote. And then she booked it back to her bedroom. She did try to barricade herself in, but Daniel is a crazy person, so he was able to break the door down. We see his pattern of specific behaviors transpire yet again. Before leaving the apartment, he posed Tracy's body. It's interesting to note he didn't pose Manny. Yeah. But I don't believe, obviously, Manny was not his target, so maybe he just did not care. He just wanted him out of the way. I mean... (laughs) From watching the countless amount of things I've watched on this kind of shit, I feel like he had, it was obviously, we all, we all know that, like, sexual assaults and sex crimes are, like, power struggles, right. power dynamics and all that kind of stuff. And I think that the posing was a way to debase the women that he hurt. And so I don't think that he didn't need 
I feel like it was just kind of like one of those like he didn't need to do that to Manny. There right. wasn't that impulse where like right. there was with the women. And that makes like sense. that's kind of how I looked at the situation. And y'all know I'm not an expert, so <laughs> that's what we're gonna say anyways. <laughs> um so from all accounts, there weren't any missing body parts at this scene because it's suspected that Daniel got interrupted in some way, shape, or form. Um, it should be noted, however, <laughs> that all of the female victims were petite, white brunettes with brown eyes. Just to add an extra gross onion layer to this, these are all of the same physical traits that Claudia, if you're remembering, his mother, mm. had. Yeah. Icky. Icky. I want to take a bleach shower, personally. What is with these dudes? Like, I don't get it pause for drink sips because ew honestly like <laughs> listen we, we oh, there's a lot of us out here who have mommy issues you guys <laughs> you need to yeah but not like that like goodness gracious no, y'all need Ooh. to have a seat so you know naturally the the killings had the entire community of Gainesville on edge you know that's pretty I mean, pretty understandable considering the situation thank goodness the university was cla- uh, canceling classes. Students were walking around with baseball bats for protection. They were sleeping in shifts. It, it All smart sad- ideas it, yeah. if you're scared for your life, though. thousand percent. It saddens me, though, because, like, I don't know. It's Literal just, children walking around yeah, with baseball bats. To that's, that's really it. The state uh, did dispatch federal agents and military personnel to post up on campus, wanting there to be some kind of police presence. They really did try to do everything they could to protect people. Everyone was was absolutely terrified, and unfortunately, law enforcement had no real leads. They didn't have much to go on. It seems that James's police career not only taught Daniel how to take abuse, but how to dole it on himself as well as cover his shit up. Desperate for answers, they begin to look at students as potential suspects. I mean, I get it. Gotta start that, somewhere, right? That's a, that's a logical leap for me. Edward Humphrey was a student at the University of Florida. He had briefly lived in the same complex as two of the victims, and he had a history of mental illness. The only thing police did know was that they were looking for someone who had a disturbing background, an incredibly abusive childhood, and that this person fit the behavioral profile for a serial killer. Edward checked some of, if not all of, these boxes, so police kind of kept an eye on him. Edward ended up getting arrested for assault. I read two different stories. I read one that he physically assaulted his grandmother. I read that one first. And then I read one where there was a reporter, because they put his picture in the media, like, almost immediately, from what I understood. Which, his face, he... Had some, not disfigurement, but very prominent scars on yeah. his face from a car accident. Mm-hmm. They were not, like, self-inflicted or because of violence. It, yeah. was, it was an accident. But he really did look like... Add that to somebody like, oh who maybe it had some sketchy behaviors, yeah, things absolutely. like that. I could see how the police... Well, and we've seen it before. When the police are desperate, they have no problem whipping the public into a frenzy. Which, well, especially and, with this level of panic. Exactly. Like children are dying at this point. Right. And, and, and I'm not saying that I don't understand, like, their thought process. It is just, I, I do always find it really unfortunate when somebody who is, like, like we, we obviously know that we're not talking about Edward Humphrey here. Like, he's obviously innocent in the long run. So it just makes me sad to see those kinds of things. But the other story was that he assaulted this reporter because this reporter caused his grandmother to have a massive coronary on her doorstep. 
because he was just not taking no for an answer, and she was, like, trying to fend him off. So, I'm not really sure. In that case, I feel like that would be justified. Either one. If my grandma was having a heart attack, I'd probably punch somebody in the throat also. thousand percent. (laughs) It wouldn't even take that much for me to want to punch somebody for my grandmother, like, to be honest. So... I'm not entirely sure what the truth is. Either one really kind of makes sense considering his history. Well, and they took it as unstable behavior, so they marked, they checked that box off. Exactly. And so he ended up getting held in police custody for five months. They were actively trying to get a grand jury to indict him for the murders, but the jury refused due to insufficient evidence. Um, apparently they were able to like loosely put him at places. They did have like some fibers or hairs. If I remember the quote correctly, one of the investigating officers said, we couldn't prove that it wasn't him, but we also couldn't prove that it was. That it was, which I mean, if he lived in the same apartment complex. Exactly. It gets dicey, right? Stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, 1000%. So, obviously, Edward, as well as, like, the mysterious second suspect that they have, which, oddly enough, had, like, no Because they were like, oh, they had two suspects. Here's all the background on Edward Humphrey, yeah. and then dot, 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 anyways. Like, there right. was literally nothing <laughs> to be found. Exactly. So, I be- that leads me to believe that person was cleared pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Or didn't really exist. Right. I think it's also possible that the police could have lied to just try to gain some public support maybe yeah. I wouldn't be surprised or even just be like look it, we're not pinning it on Edward Humphrey we have this other guy in custody too or you know what I mean the times were different long story God only knows <laughs> I mean maybe not that different God only knows either way both of them did get cleared of any wrongdoing in relation to the killings but it wasn't until later after Daniel gets arrested and they said there was even still a cloud over Edward for like years yeah after the fact because they were like <gasps> We might have got the wrong guy. Well, and you know, it's really unfortunate, too, because I think even the Idaho thing is, like, a really good example. Not that I'm saying that I think the guy's innocent, because he is definitely guilty of something, if not these murders. He looks He looks, he has a guilty face. fucking sketchy looking, and he gives me the creeps. But I think it's a really good example of how, and this is part of the reason why I have my personal rule, to not, like, investigate too deeply, because... It's really easy to have a bias of somebody who's accused. And, like, we just can't. We just can't do that. Because then, like, this is why I have... Not why, but this is a part of the reason why the justice system doesn't work. It's just really easy to be like, oh, you were accused. You have to be guilty of something. Right. So even if Edward was completely cleared, even without a cloud, people probably didn't let it go. Oh, I'm sure. I can only I can only imagine. I'd, I'd get the fuck out of there. So, needless to say, the investigation remains unsolved, and it hits a plateau, basically, until the fall of 1990. A man, an investigator named Don Maines, was part of a group of on-campus law enforcement. He actually makes a connection between the Gainesville murders and the Grissom triple homicide that we told you about the previous year that occurred. Um, Maines actually travels up to Shreveport to further investigate and work with the local police department there. Right around this same time, local resident Cindy Jurassic made a call to the group um, called Crime Stoppers and reported her suspicions that Daniel Rowling was the man that everyone, literally everyone, was looking for. (laughs) She said that she was traveling through the panhandle of Florida when she heard the news about the murders on the campus of UF. Her immediate first thought was Daniel. She had originally met him at church, 
um, which was obviously while he was living with his grandfather and doing sort of kind of okay. Um, Cindy recalled how off-putting Daniel was because he had a habit of just saying disturbing things, often directly to Cindy and or her husband at the time. She said that, quote, he'd come over every night for a while, and then one night Stephen came in and he goes, he's got to go, end quote. That's so off-putting. Terrifying. Ugh. Another conversation that stuck in her mind was one that she had with Stephen, her husband. He went to Sydney one night and told her that Daniel had told him about a problem that Daniel had. Cindy recalled the conversation going, she's like, what kind of problem? And Stephen said, quote, he likes to stick knives into people. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, that's, I don't like that's it. a problem. That's a big problem. That might could be an issue. There was also an exchange that she had with Daniel where he told her himself that, quote, one day I'm going to leave this town and I'm going to go where the girls are beautiful and I can just lay in the sun and watch beautiful women all day. End mm-hmm. quote. Ugh, that makes me want like to throw it. up. I don't like that either. I don't like any of it. You're like, oh, it can't get worse. And then I'm like, oh, but it can. Oh, but it does. Terrible, awful onions, guys. Ugh. Here we are yet again. Cindy admitted to initially dismissing these comments. She didn't think that he could have been responsible for the Grissom murder, but she was haunted by the Gainesville murders and the possibility of the Daniel Rowling connection. She made it almost immediately. The you if you knew about both cases, you'd have to make that connection because they're just they're literally alike. Especially any of the specifics, the posing, the vinegar, you know what I mean? The taking out of yeah. the other people that were in your way. Yeah. And like, uh, it's just... He beelined for his target, mm-hmm. and he took everything out in his process. Yeah. And it was just in, in a very distinct way. So I understand how and why she felt strongly about it, for sure. So she made the call and gave Crime Stoppers his name. Investigators reacted quickly, but it was unnecessary. Why, you may ask? Because Daniel was already in police custody. Turns out that Daniel had robbed a Winn-Dixie at gunpoint in Ocala. This led authorities on a high-speed car chase that ended when Daniel crashed his getaway car. Because, of course, he stole the car. So many... And then crashed the car. So many good decisions this guy makes. Making good choices. He was arrested on September 7th, about 10 days after the last murder in Gainesville. And just for reference, Cindy's phone call was made in November... Luckily, he was cooling his fucking heels in jail. Honestly, though, like, that's literally, like, the silver lining to this whole thing. It's just kind of crazy to me (laughs) that it is going down the way that it went down. For once, the stars seem to be aligning. A little bit, at least. Tiny little silver lining. (laughs) So, investigators at some point are able to determine that Daniel had the blood type B, which you may or may not remember is the same type that was found at the Grissom murder scene. Early in the following year, authorities worked on placing Daniel at all of the Gainesville murder scenes. They used an extracted tooth, which I thought was weird, and they were able to positively link Daniel to the evidence that was previously found at the crime scenes. I don't know how or why. Like, if it was for a dental procedure. Yeah. Oh, your tooth is bad. Let me just pull it out. And then they just kept it in a baggie. Let me take that DNA, though. I mean, nothing would surprise me. 
I also wouldn't surprise me if they strapped the dude down in a chair and was like, I'm gonna take that tooth. Right. <laughs> at at this stage in the Bundy, game. But they took his tooth imprints. Yeah, they did. Uh huh. Because uh-huh. they tripped him. They thought that he was gonna go. He thought he was gonna go get like interviewed or some shit. Yeah. Okay. And he walked into like this whole scene of this dentist and like the dental it's chair. Like the from thing. I'm terrified of the dentist. So like that's literally my worst nightmare. <laughs> he knew what was up. Asshole. <laughs> So, anyways, at this time, at this point in time, Daniel Rowling became the official primary suspect. They started digging into his background a little further. They found his multiple convictions for armed robbery and wondered, perhaps did he also commit the bank robbery that occurred on the same day the police found Krista Hoyt's body? (gasps) Question mark? Let's find out. Signs point to maybe... (laughs) Um, so law enforcement go back to the evidence locker. There they find a gun, a screwdriver, a bag of money, and a cassette player that are just being stored. They found, um, this at a campsite in the woods. Police had unknowingly stumbled across Daniel's home base. Like, right after the the robbery. Uh Because if I remember correctly, a police officer saw, like, the shadowy figure carrying a bag and followed him to the woods. I don't think I would do that, but good for you, officer, sir. I mean, hey, hero, sir. Way to solve some things. (laughs) So, for the first time ever, police are like, perhaps we should listen to this tape. Here they hear recordings of a man talking and sometimes singing. This person talked about how they had gone down, quote, the wrong road. They talked about what their family life was like growing up. They talked about the best way to kill a deer. The songs included lyrics like, quote, Mystery Rider, What's Your Name, You're a Killer, a Drifter, Gone Insane, end quote. Awful body chills. No. So the police realized they had just been sitting on this gold mine almost the whole time um, that they were investigating. And had they just listened to the tape a smidge earlier, <laughs> like a year or months, they would have heard the man speak his own name. One of the investigating officers said, like, he's like, I honestly have no idea why we didn't listen to the tape. He's like, and had, had we done that, we would have gotten this guy. I think it was, like, three or four months at this point. You know they have rookies now that just have to, like, watch videotaped things for hours and listen to nonsense like this. I don't necessarily, I wouldn't wish that job on anybody, but, I mean, that's good. It's very vital, though, to yeah. stuff like this. Because, like you said, had somebody listened. This is one of those things where, like, shit... Like slides to the. It's like we just talked about this with Michael Alec and the murder of Angel Melendez. Like his body was at a different borough's coroner's office for how long? Just be chilling. You know, Mismarked. like yeah, too it's even. yeah. So it's just the shit like this happens, and it's unfortunate, but it does. Now, in the midst of law enforcement working on charging Daniel with murder, he was convicted on this federal bank robbery charge, and he got sent to Florida State Prison. This is where he met fellow inmate Bobby Lewis. They developed a kinship, if you will. And Daniel went on to share many, many, many details of the murders that he had committed. According to Bobby, Daniel wanted to confess. And it seems as if he's like, that's why Daniel was doing this. Like, he wanted to get it off his chest. I don't think it was that, like... I don't well think intentioned. It was that, yeah, I don't. I think it was like maybe I can get some sort of deal type but status. Who knows? I, or maybe he was bragging. Like to me, he seems like somebody who, like at the stage in the game, would be like, "Yeah, I like have fucked shit up." I totally like, did all this. Yeah, I don't know. I, again, I could be totally wrong. Either way, he 
he did. He shared all these details with this guy. And so Bobby Lewis wrote out a five-page letter outlining their conversations and the details that he had been given. And these were things that only the killer would know. So it was definitely of interest to police. And, of course, investigators were all up in this shit. And they wanted to confirm the details with Daniel himself because he's basically confessing. Right. It, be it via through another criminal. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, again, the you guys, like, I can't even describe how desperate police and general law enforcement was during this time. Like, they wanted answers and they wanted them five minutes before like they yesterday, had them. <laughs> like, yeah. mm-hmm. it was, It was a really rough situation. So... Daniel agreed to meet with the police, but only if Bobby could be present and was allowed to act as his mouthpiece. Mm. So the police was like, you know what? Fuck it. Sure. Let's do it. And they all get together and Daniel was asked questions. Bobby would answer them. And then Danielle or Danielle, Daniel would confirm if the information was correct or not. That's got to be so fucking weird. It's like you need the information from this guy one way or another. You're a grown-ass man. Take some goddamn accountability. Do you just feel like maybe he's finally the center of attention, so he's like, let me just play these games. I never got any sort of, Hmm. not positive reinforcement, but any kind of of reinforcement. Any reinforcement from his dad. Maybe. I don't really know. Let's spin this web. I think that Daniel Rowling was really fucked up. Yes. I, I think that I think that there was a lot of mental illness at play, not to the severity in which he claimed there was, but uh it was definitely there. I, I don't know. To me these are all the musings of a crazy man. Right. But I that that's a really that's an interesting thought. I didn't I just think feel of. like it's like here's a little carrot. Now yeah. work for it. Maybe dance for me, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, no me. that that definitely tracks for his, like, personality type to an extent, for sure. Ooh. That's interesting. I never thought of that. Huh. Marinate on that. Yeah. <laughs> now, despite trying, because they sure did fucking try, the police could not get Daniel to confess to the Grissom murder. So they had to just move on with the charges that they could bring. Feeling supremely confident that they had their guy finally, law enforcement moves forward and officially charged Daniel with five counts of first-degree murder with the death penalty on the table. Y'all know Florida don't fuck around with that kind of stuff. Oh, no. But they give out the death penalty like Oprah gives out cars. Oh, no. That's a very (laughs) bad and true analogy. Remember in the Ted Bundy case, the the Bundy, I think he asked his lawyer, like, something about the death penalty and they're like florida is the answer <laughs> like that's just the answer yeah. you go there to die basically yep well especially with that level or this level hmm. of horror not saying it's not warranted in this case he absolutely deserved the death penalty 1000 percent. so it winds up taking four years before this case actually sees the inside of a courtroom Finally, on February 13th, 1994, the trial is set to begin, all the players are ready, when suddenly, Daniel and his lawyer stand and ask to address the court. Daniel said, quote, Your Honor, I've been running from first one thing and then another all my life, but there are some things that you just can't run from, and this being one of those, end quote. He then proceeded to plead guilty to all five counts. However... The trial still had to move forward to an extent 
because when the death penalty is an option for sentencing, the jury is actually still required to hear all the evidence so that they can make a proper recommendation to the judge in regards to the punishment that's doled out, which makes sense. Yeah, it totally checks out. Um, it's during, because I don't want you just sentencing people to death no. without hearing all the information right absolutely because like i mean you have to still make sure like okay even if you pled guilty like you have to still make sure that the punishment fits the crime absolutely in this case yes thousand (laughs) times yes um it was however during this phase that claudia rowling took the stand she testified to the abuse that daniel had suffered at the hands of his father when she was asked if she ever felt that her husband was treating her son inappropriately she said quote sure i guess Sometimes he would put him up against the wall. The marks of his fingers would be there, and he shook him a lot and sort of scared me, end quote. Mm. Not surprisingly, this was not well received by the victim's families because they're trying to make a victim out of a... Yeah. Not, and I'm not saying that Daniel Rowling was not a victim, but... I feel like he There's gave, other ways to handle yeah. your trauma besides this. thousand percent. <laughs> I think that he lost the ability to have any kind of defense when he started murdering people all willy-nilly, but that's just me. No, I'd have to agree <laughs> with you there. And I get it. Like, the, the victim's family, they were pissed. They were, like, they're, they felt, like you said, that they were just trying to be like, well, you know... Here's the reason why, so let's take it easy on him. Well, he also suffered, so that's yeah. why he forced that suffering on your children. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'd get thrown out of court. Abs- I think one guy <laughs> did, actually. That, that's <laughs> pretty sure. right. I don't remember who specifically, but I do remember reading that he was quoted after he got kicked out saying that he read somewhere that serial killers really like having power and control. And so him spouting off the way that he did was, like, his way to get the last word. And I thought that was really badass. Good for good for you, sir. I, I love seeing victims' families, like, take a little bit of their power back in these kinds of moments. It's gut-wrenching, but it's, like, like we said, like a teeny tiny little silver lining to things when right. they get to have that moment. So during this phase is when the multiple personality thing got addressed. He claimed to have had them. He claimed to have developed them through his childhood as a coping mechanism, which may be true. Checks out for somebody who actually has, I think it's what, dissociative dis- identity disorder mm-hmm. now. Um, however, it didn't really seem that that was the case here. So Daniel claimed that his evil, quote-unquote, Gemini side took Girl. over. Bye. She feels offended. You don't get to claim my sign <laughs> as an evil personality. How rude. <laughs> How rude. So, um, I think it's especially funny because not only do Geminis, by nature, have, like, a duality to them and every, asso- like, story-associated myth, all that kind of stuff, there's... That's the theme. So I thought that was interesting. And also that he took the character's name from The Exorcist 3. I've never seen any of them. Neither have I. So. But, yeah, so he would, he basically was like, yeah, as a kid, I started developing, like, these alternate personalities to, like, cope with my surroundings, and then he claimed that Gemini would take over, and Gemini's the one that committed the murders. Cool. Uh, Prosecution was not having it, because they, of course, argued that he made it up, because that was based on a character from a movie and that the only reason why Daniel committed these crimes was because he loved it. He really did seem to like he it really, a lot. Like an icky really fucking did. 
Because of these claims, Daniel was seen by several psychiatrists. There was one that testified that Gemini was real and was, in fact, the driving force behind his acts. There were two additional psychiatrists that testified. They said that there was a severe personality at play here, but Daniel fully understood the magnitude of what he was doing. Throughout the process, he did diagnose words he did get diagnosed (laughs) with antisocial personality disorder borderline personality disorder and paraphilia which was previously known as sexual perversion and sexual deviation which in case you guys didn't know i had to google it so you have to hear about it is is the experience of intense sexual arousal to atypical objects situations fantasies, behaviors, or individuals. It has also been defined as sexual interest in anything other than a consenting human partner. So very obviously this man is disturbed. Right. Do I think Gemini exists? No. No, I don't think so either. I mean, he was basically diagnosed as a psychopath. Mm -hmm. He was diagnosed with borderline. Mm -hmm. He's diagnosed with that weird, like, rapey thing. Mm -hmm. We didn't, I don't like that. I was like, oh no, but I had to Google it because I was like, I don't know what this is. No, it's super interesting, but. It makes sense. Coupled with everything just makes for a really terrible cocktail here. I don't like it. This is not a drink you'd ever want to drink. No, this is gross. So while all of this is going on in the background, Daniel actually starts communicating with a woman named Sandra London. She was, or is, perhaps, a journalist. She I hope she's not still a journalist after this. She had, like, headshots online, so... <laughs> you guys are more than welcome to go investigate a little Ooh, more. I'll find some for you. But Don't here's worry. her background <laughs> info. She eventually enga- got engaged to Daniel Rowling, because why the fuck are ladies like this? Why? Sometimes? Why are women like this? Like, you guys, you're making us... Well, Things are hard enough for us as one it of is. The Menen- Didn't one of the Menendez brothers get married in jail? I, I'm not sure, to be honest, but there's people who are out there, like, taking off their panties for Chris Watts. Like, people were the same way with Ted Bundy. Like, I don't understand It's it. a fucking thing. I Obviously, we are morbidly fascinated by true crime and all of these I things. I would not like, send them my underwear. <laughs> Or even a letter. Like, no, no, thank you. It's insane to me that there are people out there, and it's not just women. I shouldn't be like that. No, but it's like, true. There are people out here who are like, ooh, murder, let me get that. Like, yeah, that sounds real interesting. Mm. Let me go some more. I want to hear more, but I want you to stay locked up far, 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 yeah. far away from me. In the maximum security <laughs> Yeah, type. bro, no thanks. Unfortunately, Sandra has a type. This bitch. Daniel was not the first killer that she was with. Um, her previous boyfriend was alleged serial killer G.J. Schaefer, who I did not know, I did not Google, because I did not want to go down that rabbit hole, mm-hmm. but he is an ex-cop doing two life sentences for murder. They dated in high school, so it's likely that they were, like, together before he actually allegedly killed anyone, but it wasn't quite clear yeah, I from don't know. what I read, so... <laughs> Either way, subconsciously, this bitch has got a type. Yeah. And not, it's gross. It's not good, yeah. Nobody, we don't like it. Long story short, Sandra helped Daniel put together a memoir called The Making of a Serial Killer, which included Daniel's confessions to the five murders in Gainesville, in addition to some other crime that he hadn't been charged with. Baldy. Uh, I think at this point it's like, Yeah, I mean, meh. Yeah. What do I have to lose? That's a fair point. 
Um, this book actually even included illustrations done by Daniel while he was in prison. Mm. Naturally, all of this was done for profit, which is illegal in most states. And as we learned from the case of Eileen Warnos, it's definitely illegal in Florida. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So the two were actually sued by the state of Florida under the Son of Sam Law, which refresher course. This is a law designed to keep criminals from profiting from the publicity of their crimes, which makes sense. You yeah. can't go out there and wreak havoc and then reap you the benefits from it. You can't go and do the things that you did and then become, like, wealthy off of mm-hmm. it. You've got to be... No. Mm-mm. No. Don't care for that. I, and honestly, you know, I'm surprised that these kind of laws exist to an extent just because, like, we as a society, as a world, are so focused on, like, those dollar bills but, like, thank God we do. Because could you it's imagine? Literally like, the caution coffee is hot at yeah. McDonald's. That lady was a bajillionaire because mm. she put her coffee cup in her crotchular area <laughs> and spilled it. I recently watched a documentary about Dumb. that. And I feel like I was surprised by what I learned, but now I can't remember anything. But, well, like, with hair dryers, don't put it near the tub. Like, that should be, like, a no shit kind you of would, thing. But you here we are. Think. We as a species Here we are. have stopped evolving, in my opinion. <laughs> so, uh, needless to say, the new couple winds up losing that suit. And from what I and we could find, Sandra just sort of slinks away from the situation, tail between her legs, yeah. licking her wounds, and probably finding another man to hook up with. She just had to go down to the different, like, cell block, and Ugh. it was fine. <sighs> On April 20th, 1994... Daniel Rowling was sentenced to death. It took a couple more years for this to come to fruition, thanks to the appeals process. Before his execution took place, Daniel handed his spiritual advisor a note that consisted of a handwritten confession. He was finally admitting that he was guilty of killing the Grissoms. How fucking time. We have an excerpt here. He wrote, quote, In order to fulfill all things, that no stone be unturned. Hereby, I make a formal written statement concerning the murders of Julie, Tom, and Sean Grissom in my hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. Hal Carter, Julie Grissom's former fiancé, is 100% innocent, totally pure of that crime. I, and I alone, am guilty. It was my hand that took those precious lights out of this old, dark world. Which, they assumed that Hal was at the core of this when they didn't have anything else to go on. Oh, I'm sure he was a lot like Edward Humphrey. It's one of those things where it's like the husband did it. Yeah. I think. I mean, and in some cases, that is 100% accurate. Almost all (laughs) cases. But nonetheless, here we are. And I'm glad that for the family's sake, at least they had some closure. And I know that's cliche to say. Yeah. But at least they had an answer. Like, this is who did it. We know he won't be doing it to anybody else very very clearly, Mm -hmm. so at least we have that, you know. For sure. Um, Daniel's last meal consisted of lobster tail served with drawn butter, butterfly shrimp with cocktail sauce, a baked potato with sour cream and butter, strawberry cheesecake, and a sweet tea. His last words consisted of him singing a gospel hymn for about two minutes. Um, They did say that music was one of the things that got him through... His younger years, not yeah. unscathed, but, like, at least helped. So He, he gave would, him an outlet of some kind. He kinds. did enjoy to sing, but I can only imagine what that was like to see in person. Especially, like, as you're getting strapped to the gurney yeah. to be lethally injected. It's well, just weird. 
And they packed almost 50 people into the viewing arena to witness Daniel's execution, many of whom were family of his victims, because there were, at this, well, five victims times, you know what I mean? Yeah. a lot of people. Oh, for sure. Um, He was finally given the lethal injection to end his life on October 25th, 2006. He was pronounced dead officially at 6.13 p.m. So... I don't know why I'm morbidly fascinated by what people on death row had for their last meals, but I am, so I had to add it. There's a whole website about it. I can't help myself. I can't remember what his name is, but there is a content creator out there who, like, makes meals for himself. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's kind of interesting. It's very morbid, and it's horrible, but I do think... So crimes you've done notwithstanding, mm-hmm. you do deserve to go out. I can see why they if do what they do. If you want to have lobster and cheesecake, by all fucking means, like mm, we're about to kill you anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. So funny little story. Uh, as I usually do, I was listening to Queen Herbie and I was doing some stuff, uh, reading uh, my book that you got me for Christmas and doing all this stuff and Mark was like kind of sleeping on the couch and the song Mint came on mm-hmm. and he was awake at this point and there's a line in there that's like sitting in my ice like shrimp and he literally goes mmm shrimp and I looked at him and I was like no, literally like in the midst of a tarot read for myself and I'm like did you know that Daniel Rowling had shrimp as his last meal and he's like what and I, was, I went through the whole thing and I was like yeah isn't that kind of weird like strawberry cheesecake sounds really good it was, there I was, I forget who it was, he just wanted a whole bucket of KFC chicken. These are the conversations that, like, Mark and I have on, like, a regular fucking basis. I like guys. that, though. So, well, um, this is how Brie and I talk to each other before we started recording <laughs> Honestly. It, so you're literally just hearing years of friendship here. For real. Oh my gosh, it was so funny. I was dying laughing. Okay, so. Mm, shrimp. <laughs> I mean, tracks for him, right? Yes. <laughs> so, let's talk about the Scream Connection. Scream is my favorite, like, one of my favorite fucking movies. Uh, as a former Jehovah's Witness girl, I wasn't allowed to really watch horror movies all like that. Of course, they weren't age-appropriate, but I also wasn't allowed to watch them. Well, they also weren't, yeah, not right. allowed. So, as I've gotten older, I've gotten into them, and getting with Mark and his appreciation for horror, he has introduced me to the classics. He, Scream. Sure, he sure do love horror. <laughs> Every t-shirt is yep. a Michael Myers t-shirt. Yep, or, or some variation of we a horror it. movie. In I some love it. Our, dec- our decor is all, like, horror movie shit. Our house is slowly turning into, like, a gothic house, which I'm not angry about at all. I'm leaning into this. I've seen worse decorating ideas, oh, like any. By so. far. So he has been introducing me to the classics over the course of our last 13 years of a relationship, and Halloween and Scream are my, by far, like, top five favorite movies. So, of course, I was really interested in this. So, the story goes that Kevin Williamson, struggling actor and screenwriter, watched an episode of Turning Point. It was a news magazine of the early 90s. There were so many of those. So many. And, like, Rescue 911 and mm. Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, Unsolved Mysteries. I love it. I just watched that episode of Bless the Hearts. Nice. Really. I love that Did that one. whole, like... I love it. Oh, I miss that show. I just did a whole rewatch. Of Bring like, it back, folks. I know, seriously. Hello, if we get any kind of platform, that's the first thing right? we're fucking doing. Um. <laughs> Anyways, so... 
This particular episode aired on March 9th, 1994, and featured none other than Daniel Rowling. Kevin became absolutely fascinated by the case, can relate, and the attention that it received from the media specifically. Inspiration struck, and he got to writing. Initially, his idea was a story about a serial killer on a college campus, and an FBI agent being the one to hunt down a professor that taught at the school. Sounds kind of like it would have been interesting in and of itself. Yeah, for sure. But instead, he wound up centering his script on a high school students that had seen one too many horror films, and by default, they were all too familiar with the classic horror tropes and cliches. One of the things that makes me love this movie the most is like how like meta it is and how it makes fun of exactly what it's doing. Like, well, and then you've got Wes Craven directing it, oh so it's God, just like fantastic. layers. Per IMDb, the plot features a teenage girl who had lost her mother to murder the year before the movie is set to take place. The main character and her friends are targeted and terrorized by a new killer that utilizes horror films as part of their deadly game. That's so very, like, wrapped up like a nice little bun. Yeah, like I know, right? Bow. I love I it. That's perfect. <laughs> So, uh, the film was initially set to be called uh, Woodsboro Murders. That got scrapped because it's terrible. And then they were leaning towards Scary Movie, which I find hilarious because there, there are scary movies now. I wonder mm-hmm. if they read that factoid and were like, and eh, we're going to run with it. I want to, I couldn't find it anywhere. I did look, but I feel like when the Scary Movie was made, they'd gotten like permission from the writers and everybody because i mean the fucking scripts are pretty much the same well, it's, it's it's literally just haha instead of like stabby stabby oh my god you know i love I mean? that movie so much anna ferris perfection oh, i love that bitch that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> they finally settled on scream obviously mm-hmm. uh miramax bought the script for four hundred thousand dollars under their dimension films caveat in the spring of 1995 Wes Craven like we mentioned was like hell yeah let's do this yeah. and the film was released on December 20th 1996 which I found weird right yeah. before Christmas I know right I guess people go watch horror movies at Christmas. but they did I mean they did the budget for the film was set at 15 million on opening weekend tickets grossed over 6 million in sales worldwide um, Scream has Scream Scream <laughs> Scream has grossed almost two hundred million in box office sales, as well as they've spawned a butt ton of sequels. Oh my god, I love it! Came out last year, right? Oh, I don't even remember before. what number they're at, but they're making another one. There was one that just came out though. Yes, right? it was fantastic. I, mm. Oh my gosh, they're so good. Have you not watched them? I've watched. Them. <gasps> okay, so my mother-in-law <laughs> wants to do like a sleepover night every so often, and she wants to start watching the screams. So you can come over. We'll order food. We'll make drinks. We're gonna fucking watch them. Oh yeah. Let's and make crafts because Chase's girlfriend just got a cricket, so she needs to learn how to to use it. So I was like, come on over. We'll cricket some shit. We're about to put some cricket shit on everything. Oh my god! Yeah. Look out, world. Well, Susan and I are gonna start working on some like new T-shirt stuff, maybe, because we thought like maybe maybe we should make some like I don't know like merch for at least ourselves. Yeah. Well, We've... and like my mom. Yeah. I think she would love a good tie dye. Oh my god. She wants yes. to tie dye. Oh, tie-dyeing session. I gave her one of the bags I tie-dyed for Christmas, and she was like, you're just so good at this. And I was like, well, yeah. We're pretty great. Hair flip. It's basically happy accidents. I felt like Bob Ross. (laughs) I was like, you just sort of put rubber bands on it, say a prayer, and then start putting dye on things. For what it's worth, guys, we try really hard to, like, do things properly. We watch a lot of inspiration videos. Mm -hmm. We try to take notes on, like, things, tips and tricks. I have a whole Pinterest board that's just tie-dye. Tie-dye tips. We'll figure it out. 
it's, they turned out good. They turned out bad. great, in my opinion. I love them. I really like it. We're crafty bitches. What can I say? When we really put our minds to it. <laughs> and on that note, this is going to be where we leave you guys today. So thank you so much for hanging out with us. Please make sure that you are following the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. You can also find us on Twitter at Crime Spirits Pod. I'm starting to really vamp up our Facebook. I'm going to treat it kind of like our website, if you will. So moving forward, I'm going to start posting things that are relevant to the cases that we're covering. Maybe some fun links of things that we found like regarding facts of the day kind of doing facts of the day. Uh, watch out because your girls learning how to use Canva. We're going to try and be more present. We're, we're, you know what? We did our little refresh, and I think it did us a lot of good. That week off was very helpful. We've got a lot of really good ideas coming up for this year, and I'm really excited to see where this goes. And I'm really excited for you guys to come on that journey with us. Yeah. Uh, so make sure you're not only following the pod, but check us out personally, too. You can also find us on Instagram. I am at Bree, B-R-E-E, underscore, not the cheese. And I am at Suze, not Susan. Get it right, bitches. Yeah. (laughs) So, if you guys like what we're doing, which we hope you do, please consider leaving us a rating and or review over on Apple Podcasts or whatever your preferred preferred platform is. It would really just help us out because we'd be found a little bit more quickly. Yeah, like more organically, if you will. Rather than you having to scroll for us, we just pop up right at the top. Yeah. So, if you could do that, we'd really appreciate it. Also, while you're at it, let us know if you have any cases or anything specific you'd like us to cover. We'll absolutely put it on the list. Like I said, we're booked out through the end of February, Mm -hmm. but we are always open to drink suggestions, case suggestions, any ideas you guys have, any sort of constructive ideas. We are ready to listen. For sure, for sure. So hit us up. Please let us know if you're liking what we're doing. And one last thing before we leave each other today. Please make sure that you guys are enjoying your adult adult beverages responsibly. Please don't do anything stupid like try and drive a car. There's no need to put yourself and literally everyone else on the road at risk. So call an Uber, order DoorDash, drink some fucking water, and just chill, my darlings. Or Gatorade. Orange Gatorade. Drink some orange Gatorade. (laughs) Back on brand. (laughs) We thank you. We love you. And we appreciate you. Have a fantastic rest of your day. And we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye.